Hey, everybody, it's Mark. Welcome or welcome back to the New Spring Church podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel and download our free New Spring app where you can access all of our recent message content. Actually, the app is the easiest way to share all this content with a friend, and it's the easiest way to keep up with everything going on around here at New Spring. But most importantly, I hope the following presentation inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, 2911 starts next week, and I, it's a series of great encouragement. Four weeks long, but I have to tell you, if you're concerned about the future, if you're troubled at all about your future, the one message you cannot afford to miss this year in 2022 is next week's message. So I just want to let you know, heads up about that. I'm not going to say it's the biggest series I've ever been part of, but it is. And it's just four weeks of extreme encouragement. Next week's talk is God's plans for you. And so you want to hear this message. Uh, You want to share it with your friends. Because I've never seen a time where people were more afraid and more discouraged in America than in 2022. And we need the encouragement that comes from heaven. We're not going to get it from Washington. We're not going to get it from Topeka. We're not going to get it from Hollywood. We're not going to get it from Madison Avenue. We're not going to get it from Wall Street. But there is good news in heaven and good news for you. So... um, I really want to preach that message right now, but I've got one more message in Promised Land, and this is just, I'm still not, I, when, I, when I'm not standing in the middle, it's doesn't count against my time. <laughs> I was talking to Mary Alice this morning. We spent some time in scriptures, and we had breakfast together, and I said, you know, the toughest messages to preach in a series are always the first message and the last message. The first message, because I have to introduce a series plus preach a particular message, so I'm trying to do two things, and at the end... I really do need all the other messages that we preach to draw the conclusions that we need to draw. But unfortunately, if I preached all the other messages, I would never get to those conclusions. So it's a kind of a it's kind of a conundrum for me. So if you if you haven't heard the other messages in the series, I'd really encourage you to watch those messages so that today's message will make all the sense that needs to make in your life. But our series is called Promised Land, and throughout this series, we've looked at the story of the uh, people of Israel in the Old Testament being freed from slavery in Egypt, being in the wilderness, and then ultimately going into their promised land. And we said in the first message, the promised land is not a picture of heaven for several reasons. That's in the first message. The promised land is a picture of living in full destiny. Heaven is heaven. But right now, you and I have the opportunity to experience God's full destiny for our lives. And just because you are a Christ follower does not mean that you will live in destiny. So we've been exploring for the last several weeks what it takes to live in full destiny. And so what we've done is we've looked at that generation that went into the promised land, and we tried to learn all the lessons that we can learn from them. And I need to tell you that that early generation got so many things right. I mean, if you think about the generation that went into the promised land, their predecessors did not get to go. I mean, God freed them from slavery in Egypt, but when they got to the very brink of the promised land, they choked at that moment of destiny and refused to go in because they didn't trust God. God had said, I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to help you defeat the enemies that are over there. But, well, you, you, you heard the talk that I gave, if you were here, that it normally takes 11 days. But what normally takes 11 days to travel into the, you know, right up to the brink of the promised land took 40 years. Because when they choked at that moment of destiny, well, 
They can't go back to Egypt and be slaves again because God has liberated them. But they can't go into the promised land and live out their destiny because they decided not to trust God. So the only thing that God could let them do was go in circles in the desert for 40 years until the older generation died. In fact, the Bible says everyone over the age of 20 died in the wilderness. And so you can imagine what that was like for 40 years, punching holes in the ground, waiting for that entire generation to die off. But the young generation... They were the ones who went into the promised land. Everybody who was under 20 at that moment, and at this point, obviously, they're going to be 60. But most of the people, most of the generation that went into the promised land, they were not even born yet when the Israelites came out of Egypt. They were born somewhere in the wilderness. But this is the generation that got so many things right. I mean, we could, we could just go through the series that we've looked at so far, and we can look at all the things that they did right. God said to them, you know, when they got to the brink of the promised land this time, he said, you've wandered around long enough. You've gone in circles long enough. And we heard that ourselves because many of us have gone in some circles in our Christian life. And God said, that's enough. You've gone in circles long enough. Turn. And they did. And then they got to the Jordan River and they couldn't get across. But you remember the message called toes in the water. And they didn't know how they were going to get across. But God said, I'm not going to open the water like I did for the first generation back at the Red Sea. God was like, somebody's going to have to put toes in the water before this water is going to open up. And you heard that message. As I said last week, I think I could write a whole book on stories that you've told me about what God said to you in that toes in the water message. Because see, that means I don't know where this destiny is going to be in my life, but I'm going to stick my toes in the water and just trust God for something. And then after that, they came up against walls that they couldn't get over, couldn't get under, couldn't get around. They came against the city of Jericho, which was sort of like the, the foundational battle that they had to fight. And they trusted God. They didn't know how the walls were going to fall down. They took God's very strange instructions of marching around the city for seven days, seven times on the seventh day. And then the walls collapsed. And then last week, they had to get the treason out of their ranks. And they did all those things. They did so many things right. And not to end on a down note, but this is where it kind of gets murky because something went wrong in this generation. God had said to them, conquer the land, drive out the enemy, claim your destiny, and live in it. Well, I don't want to get off into history, but this, the people in Canaan were so absolutely wicked that God wanted them out of the land. And so... That's what the, those were the battles they had to fight in order to live in the promised land. You and I are not conquering any people. In fact, the one person that you and I are going to have to work hardest to conquer is this person ourselves. But God wants us to conquer spiritual giants, to fight spiritual warfare, to get into the zone of God's destiny. And so God said to them, claim your destiny and live in it. Now, what went wrong was they did it sort of. They sort of did it. I have a series. I don't know if I'll ever preach it. I, it's, it's in my files. You know, I've got a whole bunch of series that I may think about and pray about preaching someday. But there's a series that I've had probably for the last 10 years. It's just simply called Sort Of. Because I've watched Christians through the years. I've watched my own life. And there's so many things that we sort of do. When God promised this land to Abraham, he basically promised them 300,000 square miles. So basically, there were 300,000 square miles of destiny in that land. Do you know how much they conquered? You think they conquered 90% of it? Maybe, God forbid, just half of it? 300,000 square miles, and they only conquered 30,000 square miles. 
In other words, they only lived in 10% of their destiny. That's kind of puzzling, isn't it? For this generation to go through so many things, to get so many things right, why would they only conquer 10% of their destiny? It's puzzling. And if it's puzzling to you, don't, don't stress over that because it was puzzling to God. I mean, Joshua died at the age of 110. I'm thinking he probably went into the land when he was about 80 or 85. So God said to him, you're old and advanced in years. I'm guessing by this point they've been in the promised land about 25, maybe 30 years. Listen to the language that God used. He said to Joshua, you're old and advanced in years, and very much of the land remains to be possessed. Well, you, you saw what I saw a moment ago. They only conquered 10%. I mean, I, I get a little bit uneasy with this statement because I wonder, is that what God is saying to me? Is God saying, Mark, you're advanced in years, which I am now. I was 28 when I came here. I, I've got my Medicare card now. <laughs> and, and is God saying to me, Mark, you're advanced in years and there's very much land to be conquered? Well, five chapters later, Joshua tells the people what God said to him. Joshua said to the Israelites, why do you wait so long to take your land? Well, that's a question that maybe we need to hear today. Because there's a whole lot of destiny that God has for us. That's what our next series is about. I mean, it could be that God is like, well, Mark, why do you wait so long? There's so much that I want you to experience. There's so much joy. There's so much fulfillment. There's so much peace. There's so much effectiveness that I want you to have, Mark. I don't understand. Why do you wait so long? I was reading this in the Hebrew, which the Old Testament was written in, and this is what a Hebrew scholar said that that question means literally. And I'm going to give it to you. How much more time will you waste? This is perhaps the most challenging message I think that I've ever preached to American Christians. Because you see, we just have so many things to waste our time with. If we go back to my grandparents' generation, many of them never traveled more than 30 miles away from their home. They lived on farms. They didn't have a lot of the so-called uh, conveniences that we have today. But you and I, we got all kinds of stuff. I mean, I'm trying to figure out, do I want to trade my Apple iPhone 12 for an Apple iPhone 14? I mean, that, that's, just, that's just the way our world is today. And, and God, God could be saying to me, I'll just make this personal, how much more time will you waste? Well, I'd love to tell you that they took the challenge, but the first chapter of Judges, which is the next book, which is a very dark book. We'll talk about that in just a moment. I mean, I'm not, I don't have the time to read it to you, but you can read it when you go home. When you read the book of Judges chapter 1, it talks about tribe after tribe after tribe. They were supposed to claim their entire destiny, but they didn't. They left a whole lot of their destiny follow. One-tenth of their destiny. I mean, this is the generation that saw the miracles. They entered the land. They'd heard about all their life, but they chose to settle for one-tenth. Now, does it sound crazy? It does until I think about my life. I'm talking about my life as a Christian. I have heard thousands of sermons on the Christian life. I've preached thousands of sermons on the Christian life. I mean, we've heard so much. We know so much about the Christian life. And yet I wonder, <clears throat> you answer for you, I'll answer for me. I wonder, have we really experienced more than 10% of our destiny? I pray we have. 
Okay. Well, here we go. Let's just start learning. We, we learned last week. In fact, I guess I've given you this verse several times in this series. We learned last week that we're supposed to learn from their story. Do you remember? I read to you 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11 last week. I think I read it out of the New Living Translation, but today I want to read it out of the message because it gets in our chili a little bit more. Ready for this? Now, the writer's talking about this story that I've been telling you in the Old Testament. These are all warning markers, danger, written down so that we don't repeat their mistakes. So this crowd that only got 10% of their destiny, we get over to the New Testament, and the writer of this book, Paul, is saying, this is there for us so that we don't repeat their mistakes. Our positions in the story are parallel. They at the beginning, we at the end, and I love this paraphrase, and we're just as capable of messing it up as they were. Why? Let's talk about that for a few moments. Why did this generation that had seen so many miracles, why did they settle for 10%? Think it through. All they had known up to entering the promised land was living in a desert. I mean, they knew about dodging snakes, running out of water, eating the same manna every day. The oldest of them remembered the terror of being slaves in Egypt when they were kids. But now get the picture. They have entered into Canaan. They have entered into this land that flows with milk and honey. And it's a beautiful place. There's plenty to eat, and nobody is threatening them. Sure, there's a whole lot more land out there to be conquered, land where they could spread out and prepare for future generations. But to get it, they're going to have to deal with some giants. God said he'd help them do it, but they had this feeling, since they were now comfortable, why do it today? Sure, we've only got 10% of our destiny, but we're comfortable today. Maybe sometime down along the line, we'll deal with those giants and we'll claim more territory. Here it is. Here's why they got only 10% of their destiny. They said at some point, this, where we are right now today, this is enough. This is enough. We're comfortable. You know, when we get to heaven and look back on our lives, I think one of the things that God will reveal to us is that we worried too much about the wrong things. I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hands, but I have an anxiety disorder. So for all of us who worry too much, I think when we get to heaven, God is going to say to us, why were you worried about the wrong stuff? You were worried about things that didn't matter, and you weren't concerned about things that were really important. I mean, if you ask the Israelites, if you were to go back in time and talk to this generation, and you were to interview them at various parts of their story, and, and you, if you were to ask them, what do you think is the enemy of your destiny? If you go back to that crowd that were in Egypt as slaves and you ask them, what do you think the enemy of your destiny is? They would say Pharaoh, the Egyptian army. Or if you got a little bit later and you talked to the generation when they tried to enter into the Canaan, they got right up to Canaan and didn't enter, you could ask them, what do you think is the enemy of your destiny? They would, I know the answer this time, they would say giants, giants. And then you talk to the generation who were out there in the wilderness, they're roaming around for 40 years, dodging snakes, no water, nothing to eat. And you ask them, what do you think is the enemy of your destiny? They would say snakes. I mean, we get, we, we were out here in the desert, we're trying to find water and all we get is this manna every day. That's the enemy of our destiny. And then if you talk to this young generation after they cross the Jordan, they're standing there watching the walls of Jericho and you say to them, what do you think the enemy of your destiny is? They would say those walls, those walls. Think about it. Were any of those things really the enemy of their destiny? I mean, God dealt with those like swatting a mosquito. 
I mean, he opened the Red Sea, closed it on Pharaoh's army. He, he, he gave them water to drink from the rock. He gave them manna from heaven. I mean, he did all kinds of things. I mean, he made the walls of Jericho fall down. He helped them defeat the giants. What was it that kept them from 90% of their destiny? It wasn't the giants. It wasn't the snakes. It wasn't Pharaoh. It wasn't the army of the Egyptians. It, it wasn't any of the problems they encountered in the wilderness. What kept them from 90% of their destiny was getting comfortable and trading destiny for mediocrity. I know this is a challenging message to preach in 2022 America, but here is the point. The enemy of your destiny is being comfortable. I would love to tell you that it's something else, but it isn't. God can take care of anything else. The enemy of your destiny is being comfortable. Now, just to prove this point, let's take this in the physical realm. You, you and I want to be healthy. We want to be able to be active. We want to be at the very apex of what is possible for us in health. And yet, so many statistics tell us, so many studies tell us, that the problem with Americans, as far as health goes, is that we are too sedentary. And we eat too much junk food. We eat too many calories that are not nutritionally sound. Why do we eat that food? Because it feels good. What is the word that we have for that kind of food? I'm messing up some of your lunches right now. I understand that. <laughs> and some of you are dealing with guilt from breakfast, okay? We call that food comfort food. Is it comforting us? No, it is killing us. And on top of killing us, it is wrecking the, it's wrecking the economy here in the United States. I read one particular study that said if Americans would eat healthy and exercise, it could add $730 billion a year to our economy. But no, no, no politicians talking about that because they would lose. Because we don't want our comfort food taken away from us. We are too comfortable with a sedentary lifestyle. In fact, this... this Statistic blows my mind. I was reading the results of another study that said costs in the United States alone from poor food choices and sedentary lifestyle and all the diseases that come about as a result, from 2011 to 2020, it cost us $16 trillion. Now, I mean, we're just talking about the physical realm. Many of us, especially including your pastor, need to get uncomfortable in this area. I mean, some of those food choices that we're making, we need to say, I'm going to push this away and I'm going to eat some things that are healthy. I'm going to make myself, I mean, I'll be honest, first, I'll be the first person to tell you that steamed broccoli is a little bit uncomfortable compared to mashed potatoes and gravy. <laughs> I gotcha. I feel you. But if you want to be healthy, you have to go uphill. And, and exercise, that's important. Okay, I'm not here to talk about that today. We'll talk about that someday because it is important because somebody's like, oh, I can't believe we're talking about that in church. Well, you just don't know the Bible very well because the Word of God says your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit and it's not yours. It belongs to God. But that's for another talk. If it's true in the physical realm, how much more true is it in the spiritual now, I do want to make one thing clear because somebody could say, Mark, I'm struggling with something a few moments ago. You said that being comfortable is the enemy of destiny, but I need comfort in my life. 
Okay, there's a quantum difference between being comforted and being comfortable. We need to own that today. I mean, the Word of God tells us that God is a comforting God. Scripture calls him in 2 Corinthians 1, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So again, I'm not talking about being comforted. You see, there's a difference between God comforting us and us living in a lethargic, comfortable way. So verse I've loved, I think I started preaching on this maybe when I was a teenager. I know I definitely preached on it in my early 20s. In the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible says, your sandal shall be iron and bronze. God was talking to the generation here. He's talking to this young generation in Deuteronomy. And obviously, he doesn't mean that their sandals are actually going to be made of bronze or iron. He's trying to give them a metaphor for the way he's going to take care of them. Now, think about bronze sandals. They would not be comfortable because they wouldn't be very flexible, but I'm guaranteeing you nothing can penetrate the sole of that sandal. And that's the kind of life that God wants us to live. I mean, yes, it's not going to be very flexible. God has a will for our lives, but I'm telling you the word of God is true that nothing can penetrate your life if you are living in the zone of God's destiny. The word of God tells us no weapon that is formed against you will prosper. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. So we're comforted but not lethargic. Well, today, I just really think, starting with your pastor, we all need a little shoulder shake here because the power of God thrives in the land of the uncomfortable. See, (laughs) a lot of us want to experience the power of God, but we're looking for some um, some kind of little side road. I want to be comfortable. I want to, I want to have spiritual junk food. I want to be spiritually lethargic, but I want to experience the power of God. It doesn't work that way. God will only show his power to you in your life if you're taking divine risks. I know this personally. And, I mean, I know it in so many ways, but I remember um, this church started contacting me about coming here in 1982. I was, I think, 25 at that time. And uh, the pastor at that time was getting up in years. He had been a mentor of mine. He'd been one of my professors in college. He was chairman of the faculty of the college I attended. But in my senior year, he came up here to pastor this church. And so he was getting close to retirement. So he started contacting me and saying, Mark, I want you to think about coming here and transitioning with me to Kansas. Now, I found all kinds of creative ways of telling him no without telling him no for three years. And he just kept after me, kept after me, kept after me. I thought, you know, I'd I'd say things to him like, well, that's a great honor and and following you would be tremendous. I had all kinds of things that I said that were other than yes. I was a Texan. I had told my wife in college, well, she was my girlfriend at the time. I said, I'll go anywhere God sends me except Kansas. And I meant that. You make a vow to God... Up in heaven, God is like, I can't believe Mark just said that. (sighs) But I remember in in, um, September of, uh, actually August of 1984, Dr. Johnson called me on the phone and he said, Mark, I mean, he he, he knew I was telling him no. (laughs) He said, Dorothy and I are coming to Wichita to take you and Mary Alice to dinner. We want to just talk to you about the church here and see if you have any interest. So we went out to dinner that night, and we had built, Mary Alice and I just built a new home. We were living outside of Fort Worth, far enough to where we could see the stars. You could away from the city lights. A little house, but it was very special to us. 
And we came back to the house, and the Johnsons parked in the front, and we talked for a little while and had coffee together. And I walked them out to their car. It's probably about 10 o'clock by this point, and they were driving off, and I turned around to walk up my driveway. My goodness, I, I could see that like it happened five minutes ago. And I just started talking. I looked up at the stars, and I just started talking. I don't even know why. I don't do that kind of thing. But I started talking out loud, and I said, God, why would I ever want to leave? I mean, this is my hometown. We have a new house. I have thriving ministries that are very successful, and God is blessing. I don't know anything about Kansas. I don't know anything about the church. And I, I said this out loud. I said, God, why would I ever want to leave? I said, and I can't believe I said this. I said, I'm comfortable. Now, I don't want to freak anybody out because it wasn't like God talked out loud or anything, but it was louder than if he'd talked out loud because just that fast, the Holy Spirit said to me, whoever said I wanted you comfortable? And the rest is history. And I have to tell you this. Now into my 38th year here at the church, I have never been comfortable. You know our church if you've been here any length of time. It's always the next thing, the next big thing, the next big thing. I mean, when God does something big, okay, that's just the new floor. I've never been comfortable, but I've never been bored. I've never been bored. Don't you crave, and I'm not, I'm not pointing to myself, I'm just talking about what God has done in my life. Don't you crave that kind of lifestyle? Because here's the thing, some of you are Christ followers and you're comfortable, but in your spiritual life, you're bored. I mean, you're like trying to, you're trying to like shake it. My mother told the story when I was a little kid about, she grew up down in the hill country of Texas and she, very, very young. She managed to trap a cardinal, a red bird, and she put it in what we would call an, you know, like an oatmeal or cereal box. And she didn't know to punch holes in the top. And the bird died, and it broke her heart. And she said, you know, she said, here's what I did, Mark. She said, I had to make myself feel better, so I would shake the box, and I would hear the body of that bird rattle against the sides, and I would pretend that it was alive. And for some of us, that's what our Christian life is. We're bored, and we come to church on Sunday, and we shake it, or Saturday night, and we shake it and pretend that it's, it's thriving. God doesn't want us to live that way. And here's the thing. God works in the land of the uncomfortable. He cannot work in the land of spiritual flab and junk food. He just won't do it. Number two, you don't want to miss the window of opportunity when God is working in your life. Because here's, I've been in, I, I, listen, I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I know how we, I know how we do this. There's something that needs to change in our lives where we're like, well, this is not the time for it. But six months from now, a year from now, I'll do that. Never forget this, church. God will not stand around waiting for us to get it. He's working when he's working. If we don't sync up while he's there and the power of God is strong in our lives, he'll move on. And so he won't wait for us until we get around to it. There are seasons when you join with God. I mean, God had said to the people of Israel, if you join these nations who are still among you, then you may be certain that the Lord your God will not go on driving these nations out from before you, but they will become a danger, a whip for your sides and thorns in your eyes till you're cut off from this good land. God is like, I'm not going to keep doing this. I'm not going to keep driving the enemy out if you don't join me in what I'm doing. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. And we need to just... Embrace this verse, every single one of us, starting with your pastor. Jesus is teaching in a particular place. And there's this very interesting line in the book of Luke 5, 17. It says, the power of the Lord was present to heal them. 
So obviously, where Jesus was there 24 hours a day on the earth. But the Bible says that in this moment, this is interesting. The Bible said that the power of the Lord was especially strong to heal. There were four men who had a friend. And they couldn't get into Jesus. They couldn't get into the house because there were too many people. What did they do? The Bible says when they could not find out how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling in the midst before Jesus. Why did they go to that extreme thing? Why did they take the risk of being sued by that homeowner? They did it because the power of the Lord was present to change things. When you and I are Christ followers, we need to realize that today God has special power available to us if we will take the risks of following him. It may not be there tomorrow. God will not stand there tapping his feet to wait on us to where we're ready to follow him. Well, now I was born at night, and I was born at night, but not last night. And, and I know how I can be sometimes hearing a message like this. And I, I would never even admit that I think these things, but they're just down there in the groundwater of my thinking. Because if I'm a comfortable Christian here in 2022, an American Christian, I will uh, say to myself, I like being comfortable. I'm saved, going to heaven. What can I lose by being comfortable? Okay, and this is how they must have thought back in the day. Surely, we'll miss out on some of the land. We'll miss out on some of the destiny. But how much can I really lose if I'm comfortable right now? I'm going to heaven. I got some stuff that needs to be dealt with, but maybe I'll get to it. Maybe I won't get to it. I'm going to heaven anyway. I got hell insurance. You better hear these next two things because this is really the whole talk right here. Number one, when you go back and study that story, you'll discover the first answer to that question is unconquered territory is always the first place the enemy will come in. You study the book of Judges, and what you'll discover is these Israelites who went into the promised land, they failed to fully conquer the land, and it was always in those unconquered areas that the enemy came in and caused them difficulty. Here's what I must embrace in this talk today. If there's any area of my spiritual destiny that is unconquered, that is the first place that Satan will hit me. And it is true for me. It is true for you. There is no Christian here that ever rises to the level where this does not need to be something on their front burners. In the United States... We have watched, in fact, globally, I guess I could say, we have watched as some of the largest, most influential churches in the world have been scandalized by leaders who had spiritual and moral failings. Now, I know what the media says. I know what happens when these stories become national or global. I mean, the idea is, well, this leader was always a fraud. I got to tell you, I know some of these leaders, and they're not frauds. These were, these were men and women of God who, who I know firsthand. I, I, I've, I've prayed with some of these. I've ministered with some of these leaders. I know that they were people of God. But here's the problem. 
Just because a person is a spiritual leader, I mean, this is true for my life. Just because I'm a spiritual leader, I still have to obey God just like you do. I mean, because sometimes if we're not careful, our spiritual talk will outpace our spiritual living. And what happened in these leaders' lives is that there was some part of unconquered territory, something in their lives that they said, well, this is not right, but I can live with it. I can keep on ministering even though this isn't right. And it was where the enemy came in and it got them. The word of God is clear on this. Any unconquered territory in our life is the first place the enemy will come in. But if that first one doesn't get us, the second one, especially for all of us who are parents and grandparents, we really do need to get this one. Because when you study the books of Joshua and Judges, you'll discover that unconquered territory is always the place where the next generation will be lost. So what happened to this generation only got 10% of their destiny? After that generation died, Judges 2.14, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord. They abandoned the Lord to serve Baal and the images of Ashtoreth. They made the Lord burn with anger against Israel. So he handed them over to raiders who stole their possessions. He turned them over to their enemies. See, they didn't conquer the territory. The enemy came in there. And even though the parents are sitting back here badging, saying, okay, so we'll just only take 10% of our destiny. We're going to heaven. We're living in Canaan. What's the big deal? The big deal was they lost their kids. And I, I, this belongs for another sermon, but I got to tell you, I'm troubled by what I see with American Christianity because I see so many kids and teenagers of Christian parents, and Christian parents have vegged, and they've just they've lived in spiritual lethargy, and they figured that just because they took their kids to church and in some cases put them in Christian school, that it was going to be okay. And, and, and again, I understand that all our kids have their own free will, and, just be, and, and a kid could grow up to parents who, who are fully living in destiny. But I just think generationally, we need to understand this lesson from the Word of God, that if, if we veg, if we live in lethargy, we need to take the lesson. That's the first place that the next generation will be lost. Did it matter that they only lived in one-tenth of their destiny? Yeah. For promised land travelers, there is no neutral gear. Okay. Action points. Because I want to give you five things. If you're here today like me and I'm listening to this message just like you are, and I got stuff to work on, if you want to live in your destiny, here are five things that you and I need to do. But now, I, before you, if you have ADD like me, you're like, five things. I guess in some ways, these are just five ways of looking at the same thing. So here's our homework here today. If we want to live in destiny and we have some lethargy in our lives, number one, challenge your weakness. Now, I'm, I'm trying to get in shape and try to work out every day now. And I've discovered that when I go to the gym to work out, there, there are some exercises that are real easy for me, and I like doing those. And there are some that are hard, and I'm like, am I really sure I need to do this? Because, you know, I want to go back and do those things that my body wants to do. No, if I want to be in shape, I'm going to have to challenge my weakness. And this is not a new spring thing. No, I just want to, I know this message is watched on television. It's, it's watched around the world. I am amazed when I preach for other churches to find out after COVID, a lot of these churches only have 20 or 30% of their audience attending because a whole lot of people have gotten comfortable watching online. And they, you know, it's like, it's kind of nice to watch this in my pajamas. Now, here's the thing. If you truly are scared about COVID and you don't go to the mall and you don't go to the restaurants and you don't go to work, 
And I get that because there are some who have health concerns. But I'm just telling you, there's a whole generation of American Christians right now that are getting lethargic and like, well, I can just watch this on my big screen at home, sitting in here in my pajamas. But I'm telling you what, you, your kids are not going to be in Kids World. Your students are not going to be in Thrive and The Wire. And I know that many of you are in other churches, and again, I'm, I'm not preaching. We're at New Spring, we're trying to figure out how to put extra chairs in here. So I just, it's not that I'm ranting about that. It's not a New Spring thing, but I'm saying so many of you watch us, and a lot of people have gotten really comfortable. And it's interesting because you know what the, you know, you know what the culturally corporate world is being to call this? They're using the term zombie. And we're in trouble with our economy. And some, there, there's what's called zombie companies and zombie households because they've, they've gotten the junk food, the economic junk food from COVID, and now we're entering into the headwinds of a recession. Well, the same thing is going to be true in the spiritual realm. Challenge your weakness. Number two, do what you've been putting off. You know, if you, you saw a baptism a little while ago. Some of us just put off baptism. Well, I don't know if I really need to conquer that territory. I love God. I enjoy worshiping. Hey, when Jesus left us with instructions, he gave us three things. Make disciples, baptize, teach. If it's that important to Jesus, it's got to be that important to you and me. Others have been putting off things like spiritual development. I mean, we, we kind of know we need to get in the next or get into a small group. So for some of us, it's stewardship. Do what you've been putting off. Number three, attack that part of your old self that you've just accepted and said, that's just how I am. And I just deal with anger or I just, I just talk too much. I mean, we could go on and on. You, you, you will know what you need to deal with. I know what I need to deal with. Number four, let go of whatever's holding you back. For anyone here today who would say, I would challenge the giants in my life, but whatever that is after the but, let go of what's holding you back. And number five, determine to settle for nothing less than God's best in your life. This one's big because I think many of us do settle. This is enough. Don't you want to see what you could be? Don't you want to see what God could do in your life? Wouldn't you like to just once in your life see what God has destined you to be? And I got to tell you, just as you have a God who loves you, you have an enemy who hates you, and he always wants to swindle you out of your destiny. Let me finish the story, not that I'm trying to emphasize myself, but I, just as a testimony. I've never told this story to my knowledge at New Spring. One reason is, as you'll hear, I, I never want people to give too much credence to dreams because I've only had this happen once in my life. So say that as a disclaimer before I do it. So you heard me tell about uh, how, what a challenge it was to think about coming to Kansas. But in 1985, we came here. I was 28 years old when I came, and I didn't really know what I was getting into. I mean, uh, like I've told you before, this, there was a whole lot of really strange legalism in this church. It was a church of about sweet people, 350 people. And by this time, I've, I've been here about 10 months, and I've also experienced my first winter here. I get asked, as I travel around the country and I speak, one of the first questions people are going to ask me, what's the winter like, well, excuse me, what's the weather like in Kansas? And I always say one word, extreme. <laughs> and I had a winter here. So I came here in June and now it's, uh, I think it's um, I can, May, I think. And when I left Fort Worth, there was a church that I was familiar with. It was um, a great church. It was pastored by a contemporary of my dad's, phenomenal church. They had one of the largest private schools 
in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Just so many cool things about it. I had a relationship with this church, had a relationship with the school, and, and it was just, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing. And so um, I have to tell you that in May, I had been invited to come back to Fort Worth and speak at a banquet for this church at a downtown Fort Worth hotel. And the night before Mary Alice and I traveled to Fort Worth, I had a dream. And in my dream, I dreamed that this church wanted to call me to be their pastor. Now, I have to tell you, on paper, that would have been the chance of a lifetime. I can go back to Fort Worth. I can go back to my hometown. I can pastor this thriving church. It's got so much opportunity. I wouldn't have to deal with the winners here. I wouldn't have to deal with some of the baggage that this church had. I mean, on paper, it would have been the opportunity of a lifetime. But when I woke up the next morning, I had something I've never had before, never had since. I had the deepest sense of dread that I've ever had in my life. It was spiritual. It was a darkness that I've never experienced. And when I woke up that morning, it was as if God was saying to me, you missed your destiny. And I was puzzled the next morning. I thought, first of all, they're not asking me to come. As far as I know, their pastor is going to be there for a long time. And I'm like, why would I think I missed my destiny? This would be the opportunity of a lifetime. Go back home, pastor this great church. But I couldn't get away. Why did I have this horrible sense of dread? The next day, we drove to Fort Worth that Friday night. We had this banquet, this big, eloquent banquet at this hotel. And I was seated across from the pastor of this church and his wife. And just after the meal was served, the pastor looked at me and he said, Mark, we want you to come be the next pastor of this church. But I remembered that sense of dread. And I joked with him. And I said, George, you're going to be pastor for a long time. And the moment passed, and five minutes later, he said to me like I'd never heard before, Mark, we all want you to come be pastor of this church. And I said, George, I can't do that. I'm 28 years old. I had no idea what God was going to do. But if I'd done that, I would have missed destiny. And I promise you, take it from an old guy who's had the privilege of living in destiny. You don't want to miss God's best. You don't want to settle. You don't want to stop short. Satan will offer you all kinds of things, all kinds of trinkets to stop short. You don't want to miss God's best for your life. You want to live in the promised land. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend. Once again, thanks for listening. If you live in Wichita, the surrounding area, we'd love for you to engage with us in one of our weekend services. For directions, service times, and information about our incredible kids and student environments, visit us at newspring.org. One more time, newspring.org.